You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Well, I want to get rolling this morning. We are in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as we've been going through this series, we've been looking at all these different things that Jesus has been teaching about. And We've been kind of noticing, I hope, like a a lot of you are starting to pick up, there's sort of this common thread, there's this common uh, point to a lot of Jesus' teaching. He's trying to get his disciples and ultimately them as they go out and teach other people, he's trying to to help them understand that it's more than just obeying the law. There's more to it than just following the rules, right? This idea of motive, like what's behind why you do what you do has been a big part of all of his different teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like it's not just about don't murder, it's why are you so angry to begin with? It's not about don't commit adultery. It's about why are you lusting after another person in your heart? Why are you looking at them and thinking those things, right? It's not just obey the law. It's to learn to follow the law and to follow the rules in such a way that they actually change us on the inside. It's an inside out obedience not an outside-in obedience. And that's this common thread that's weaved through all of his teachings as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. The chunk that we're going to get into this morning is uh, a passage of Scripture that's often quoted by people that don't really know the Bible. They take bits and pieces of this passage and misapply them or misuse them or misquote them. Uh, It's often a passage that even people who have grown up in the church don't have a right understanding of, okay? So my hope is this morning, as we go through it and unpack it, that it will be something that you will, one, walk out of here with a right understanding of this teaching from Jesus, You will, too, walk out of here with an understanding of how does it actually apply to you today? Like, what can you learn from this? What could you take away? And and, and if there is something in it for you, what would you do with it? My hope is that you'll have some answers to those things before you go home, okay? So we're going to jump into the passage. It's short. We're going to read through the whole thing, and then we'll come back and break it down. Matthew 7 starts off like this. Judge not that you not be judged, for with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye uh, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So we kind of have an interesting thing here. Jesus is sitting with his guys. He's sitting with his disciples. He's teaching them and he opens up this, this little chunk, this lesson with them about judging. And he starts off with a do not do not judge. And then he goes from do not judging into this thing that morphs into a statement about logs and specks, which then morphs into another statement about dogs and pigs and pearls. Sort of like, are you sure somebody didn't like mismatch the sentences? Like, is this supposed to all go together? It seems sort of weird, 
right? Let's break it down. When Jesus says, do not judge, it's probably really important that we actually understand what he means when he says, judge. Because if we don't have a right understanding of that, then how do we know if we're doing it or not doing it, right? This is a passage that gets thrown out a lot by a lot of people. It's like, well, as a Christian, you're supposed to not judge, right? You're not supposed to judge anybody. Don't judge. You're not supposed to be judgmental. Do people even know what the word means? In this particular passage, the word that's translated for judge is a Greek word called krino, K-R-I-N-O. Krino. That word is used 99 times in the New Testament. And of all the times it's used in the New Testament, there's really three dominant definitions or forms of that word, okay? There's really three different ways that it's used. So I wanna take a look at how that word is used and what it means in its context so that we can figure out for ourselves what does Jesus mean when he says, don't judge, right? The first one is this. It's in a letter that Paul wrote to Titus. When he wrote this letter to Titus, he's wrapping the letter up. He's got some closing remarks and he uses a form of this word crino. He just has some closing remarks. He says, as I send Artemis and Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have crinoed to winter there. I have decided, the word translated there is crino. I have crinoed to winter there. So we see right off the gate, one of the forms of this word crino, judge, one of the things it can mean is to be resolved, to make a decision, to decide something. So we go back to our Matthew 7 passage and we can look at it and go, is Jesus saying, do not make decisions lest decisions be made about you? That's sort of a weird thing to say. That's not what he means. He's not saying, he's not trying to say, don't make any decisions. So let's look at another version of that word. The next version comes up in John 18, 31. It's when Jesus has been brought before Pilate. They're trying to get him to try Jesus in the Roman court. Pilate is like handing him back over to the Jews. And he says, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Crino him by your own law is what it says. So in this example, we see that this word crino can be used to talk about a court of law. So we go back to Matthew 7. Is Jesus saying, don't have courts of law? Don't judge people in courts of law. If somebody steals something from you, don't judge them, don't take them to court. They must have just needed it worse than you. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying do away with a court of law, right? Let's look at the next one. Next one comes up by Paul again in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. He says, therefore judge Crino, so therefore Crino, nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. He says, don't judge what God is supposed to be judging. Paul's essentially saying like, don't get ahead of yourselves. God will come at his time that is appointed by him. And when he comes, it's his job to judge the motives, the dark secrets, 
the reasons behind why people do what they do. That is God's territory, God's business, not your business. He says, don't judge and try to do God's job, right? So in this passage in Matthew 7, we've got Jesus teaching his disciples, trying to help them understand this idea of judging other people. It's not about don't make decisions. It's not about do away with the court system or the courts of law. It's about don't try to do God's job. Don't try to decide for yourselves the motives and the dark secrets of men's hearts. That's God's territory. And he says, when you get into this type of judging, when you crino this way, it's a dangerous slippery slope because the measure in which you judge other people is the same measure in which God will judge you. So if you're a person that struggles with seeing other people and whether it's uh, I know where they grew up or what side of town they came from or I saw the car they pulled up in or I see the clothes that they have or I understood, uh, I heard the way they talk you know, and I overheard them in a conversation with a coworker and automatically things come to mind in different circumstances and you start to think you know that person and who they really are and why they do what they do. You need to understand that that is the type of stuff that Jesus is trying to get his disciples to take note of. You are on a slippery slope of trying to do God's job and it's not for you to do. He says, be careful that you don't judge other people in a way that is reserved for only God to do. And then he goes on to unpack it a little bit more and it's like, okay, if we're not supposed to judge them, in that way, what are we supposed to do? What is our responsibility? And then what Jesus does next is really actually pretty funny because he does this thing where he's trying to make an exaggerated point because he was teaching a bunch of young men that were rockheads like a bunch of us still here today. Like they, they needed object lessons, Right? They needed things that would, pictures that would stick in their mind to help them remember the principles, the things that he was trying to teach them. So he gave them this example. He says, here's the deal. When it comes to your part in telling other people how they're right or wrong, I want you to imagine this. You really actually need to work on getting the log out of your own eye, literally, before you focus on getting the speck out of somebody else's eye, right? Like, because having a giant log in your eye is sort of weird and uncomfortable. And you need to get the speck out of Blake's eye because, oh, Blake. What you guys probably don't know, because a lot of you can't see in Blake's eye like I can from up there, is like there is something in his eye and it has been driving me nuts since I started preaching. I mean, really. I got a bit of a blind spot. Uh, and every time he blinks, it's like got glitter or something. And I don't know, were you like at a birthday party for girls or something? What happened? It's like, I really wish you would deal with this speck in your eye. It's driving me nuts. Like, can you see the speck in his Like, right? Do you get the picture? It's sort of really funny. Like Jesus is giving this example 
for his guys to remember, I probably got a splinter in my face. I got a speck in my eye. That's not the only thing. Jesus is giving his guys this example, this literal picture for them to imagine so that it sinks in for them the craziness of how easy it is to slip into pointing out what's wrong with other people. How quickly we can easily see what other people do wrong or what they th we think that they should change or how they should behave differently or act differently or how they're not rightly applying God's word or rightly understanding scripture and we're so quick to see what's wrong with them and yet he's saying first we gotta get the log out of our own eye. He's trying to help them have this exaggerated example so that they will remember this principle. Deal with your own stuff first. Think about marriages. How many marriages fall apart? How many dating relationships? For some of you that are younger than not in the marriage boat yet. How many relationships between a parent and a child or siblings when the two people in the relationship are really, really good, like both of them are expert spec finders? Like, this person's got this and this and this and this, and this is what's wrong with them, and this is what's wrong with them, and everything that's wrong with them, and I, they should do this different, and they should do this different, and why don't they do this, and they should do that, and how come they do this, and this has got to be worked on, and if they don't ever work on that. And they're just amazingly awesome at pointing out what's wrong with each other. Is it any wonder that marriages fall apart, that relationships fall apart, when you're really good at pointing out the problems with each other? Jesus is trying to help us understand what a difference it would make if we could, instead of seeing these, these things that we want to change in other people that they need to address, that we think they should do different or be different or think different, if we could get off of that and get onto our own junk and turn and look ourselves in the mirror and actually think and ask for God's help discerning what are the logs in my own eye? Like actually asking God, like, what is this stuff for me? Like, I'm really good, God. I don't need your help seeing what's wrong with everybody else. Like, I could give you a list, right? But when it comes to me, I walk around with a pile of wood in my eye, and I'm not very good at noticing it. And so you actually go and ask God, help me see what are those logs. Help me discern where I'm off. Now, if you want some honest feedback in this department, like if you want to take to heart this teaching, go and ask your spouse if you're married. Ask uh, some close friends if you're not. Ask your parents or your child if you're a parent. Ask people that know you really well. And go and ask them something purposely sort of vague, something like this. Go to them and say something like, hey, when it comes to like me, is there any like stuff I need to work on? Are you kind of imagining the conversation? I recommend that you have a notepad ready. Because if you're like most people, it's really easy to remember the things that other people need to work on. It's really hard to remember the things that you need to work on for some reason. Ask them, is there anything in my character, like personality stuff, like is there anything that's 
that you see in me that's not helping me represent God? Throw that one on the table. See what sticks, see what comes back. So Jesus is saying, in this passage, he's saying, don't try to do God's job. When he says, do not judge unless you be judged, he's not talking about making decisions. He's not talking about doing away with the court system. He's not talking about any other little nuance that you try to read into it. He's trying to specifically say, don't step into the eternal territory of trying to decide the motives of people's hearts. Don't try to figure out why people do what they do. That's God's territory. Don't do God's job. When it comes to you and your part, deal with your own stuff first. Dig in and do the hard work of figuring out your logs. And then he goes on to the weirdest statement. Like the Bible has some funny things in it. This is one of them. He goes on to this weird statement that if you were to take this sentence out of context, like this isn't a sentence you'll ever see anywhere in the world right? Do not give to dogs what is holy. That by itself is weird. Do not give to dogs what is holy. And if that's not weird enough, he follows it up with, and don't throw pearls to pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. That's a weird thing to say. Like, have you ever actually thought about it? Like Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's like, don't give dog stuff that's holy and throw pearls at pigs. So here's the question. You guys need to be real with me. I don't know if first service was really honest. Like I need you guys to really lay it out there. Do you struggle with throwing pearls at pigs? Is this secretly a problem for you? Is your grandmother been wondering where her pearls are for years? and you have not confessed that the last time you went to the fair, you could not help yourself when you went by the pig stalls, that you just got your pearls out and you're like, there's pigs and I just can't help but throwing my pearls every time I get around a pig. You guys don't struggle with this? Is it just me? That's it, I'm not going to the Moscow fair. I don't wanna be that weird guy throwing pearls at the pig booth, right? What is Jesus up to? What is he trying to, to say to his guys? What picture is he trying to get them to understand? What is he trying to get them to remember and wrap their brain around and let it sink in? In scripture, pearls always represent God's word. They represent God's text. His word, his teaching, pearls are good. Dogs and pigs always represent Gentiles. Anybody who's not a Jew. When you stop and think about that for just a second, they don't have the highest opinion of people that aren't them. Anybody that's not us is a dog or a pig. Kind of interesting. Jesus is trying to get them to understand. Don't give to dogs and pigs, people who don't know God and fear him, truth, 
God's wisdom, God's pearls. Now, a lot of times this is misunderstood or misapplied. It's like this idea that somehow we're using it to justify thinking badly about the pig or thinking badly about the dog, like we're looking down on them like they're less than, and that's not at all the heart of this teaching. The heart of the teaching is that the problem is the pigs can't understand or appreciate the truth or the wisdom of the pearl. Or they're not in a spot yet or ready to understand or appreciate the truth or the wisdom of the pearl. So rather than trying to stuff your truth down someone's heart, to, to stuff it down their throat, to like convince them of what you know, you should hold those things back and then follow this command that Jesus gives, right? Jesus teaches that he came to give a new command, that we are to love one another just as he first loved us so that all men will know that we're his disciples by what? By our awesome apologetic arguments about our faith? That all men will know we're his disciples by our ability to point out the biblical error in every Facebook post that's ever been posted? People will all know that we're his disciples by our ability to know God's word so good that anytime someone is wrong, we have a scripture ready to rebuke or correct. Right? That's not what he says. What he's, the point he's trying to make is not truth. It's not stuff things down people's throat. The point that he's trying to make is that all men will know that we're his disciples by our love for one another. When we love each other well, we represent Christ well. We represent God well. We represent Christianity well. We make the Bible look interesting and appealing. When we love each other well, we make Team Jesus interesting to a lost and hurting world that doesn't know what pearls are or have an interest in them yet. When we try to lead with information and truth, people are turned off. They feel put down, they feel judged, they feel controlled by us trying to manipulate what we know to say what they're worth and to mix up all of this baggage that comes with it. And instead, Jesus says, don't do God's job. Let him worry about the motives of people's heart. When it comes to you, deal with your own stuff first. And when it comes to how you relate to other people, don't lead with your truth. Love each other well. And if you do that, people, all people, will know that you're my disciples. All people will know that you're on Team Jesus when you love each other well. I don't know if you guys have ever been a part of a group of people that's more than one, but anytime there's a group that's like more than one person, you get 10, 20 people together and put them like on a project for a half a day, there's gonna be some people that don't like each other. There's gonna be some people that are annoyed with each other. There's gonna be a little backstabbing going on. There's gonna be a little manipulation. There's gonna be somebody that's annoyed with somebody. There's gonna be maybe even somebody that's outright mean, right? Now you put together 20, 40, 50, 60, 100 people and it's gonna, it just gets exaggerated. Like where there are a lot of people, there are always a lot of problems. 
Those of us in the kingdom, when we love one another well, we stick out like a sore thumb when you get a bunch of people together that actually treat each other awesome. When we truly bear with one another, we're patient, we're kind, our words are gentle, we have a long-suffering love that hangs in there for each other. That is what testifies to a lost world around us that this thing that we're a part of is something that they might be interested in. That's way more powerful than trying to present your truth or your arguments or make your case. A couple of things before we get ready to take communion in a second. Um, you could hear this teaching and maybe sort of think like, okay, well, when it comes to other people, so I'm not supposed to judge and we're not supposed to shove truth down their throat, like that's not very effective, I hear that. So when it comes to other people, am I supposed to just let them do their own thing? Like not really care or what? Like, I, I'm, I don't know, that doesn't sound right. And here's the thing, it's not right. Remember how Jesus ended verse five. In verse five, he's talking about the hypocrites. He says, you hypocrites, first remove the log from your own eye, right? So then you can see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's eye. He's not saying don't care about other people, don't get in the thick of it, don't help them with their stuff, don't address stuff that's going on in other people's lives, but it starts from a place of us being willing to deal with these things. Like to do the hard work of looking ourselves in the mirror and addressing the logs in our own eye. And when we're people that are willing to do that, that we're willing to address this big junk that's in our own life and deal with those things first, then we're the kind of people that can help other people. We're the kind of people that other people will want to be helped by because they'll see a living example of someone that deals with their own junk and that's attractive. You know what's not attractive? Being around someone that's great at telling you what you're wrong at. It's a great way to not make friends, I'll tell you that. When we're the kind of people that will deal with our own stuff, not get hung up worrying about people's motives and the, the secrets of their heart and trying to unwind and unravel and play God and figure out why they do what they do, but we'll deal with our own stuff and do the hard work of addressing our own issues. And we will focus on loving each other well more than trying to put our truth in front of people. You create a movement that people can't not wanna be a part of no matter what they know about God, it's something that they're interested in. It creates an environment, a family, a, a group of people that are in relationship that is attractive. It's how God's church has grown since the New Testament. With that, we're gonna move to our time of communion this morning. And so they're gonna pass out those buckets real quick and just drop your cards in those when they come by. And then right after that, they're gonna pass out the communion trays. And when they pass those out, I want to make sure everybody here knows that at Real Life we have what we call an open table when it comes to communion. That means that anybody here 
who wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is welcome to take communion with us this morning, okay? When they pass out the elements, if you'll just hold on to the bread and the cup, and, uh, and then, excuse me, then in a few minutes, we're gonna take communion together, okay? We're gonna take a look at some implications. These deals, uh, kind of nuggets that we're gonna chew on here at the end of the message are in your sermon notes so that you can take them home with you. Um, before we look at them, I wanna kind of segue real quick and I'll circle back, this will make sense in a minute. But um, in a couple of weeks on September 23rd, home groups are officially kicking off. Um, home groups are kicking off. There's gonna be, uh, all of our home group leaders are gonna be all throughout the lobby, uh, both services that weekend set up, uh, kind of like a little home group fair type thing. And you get a chance to meet the different leaders. You get to see what night of the week they're on, what time they meet, are they kid friendly? Are they uh, not kid friendly? Does it work to bring little kids, all that kind of stuff. You're gonna get to see and meet and connect. And so all that is coming up in a couple of weeks. And when that comes and uh, starts, that week, all the home groups officially kick off on the same curriculum. Everybody's doing the same stuff, the same week, the same lessons, the same questions, so that all the groups are on the same page, okay? Now, coming back to where I'm at. A lot of groups are started already. They've reconnected, they're getting together, they're having dinner, they're kind of getting back out of summer mode, back into fall mode. For those of you that have groups that are getting together right now, take these implications for the next couple of weeks and use them as your conversation in your small group. If you're in a me and three or an accountability group and it's sort of stale and it's like, I feel like we've covered the same things over and over and over and over again, bring your sermon notes with you, bust out the implications and pick one of those to chew on while you have coffee with your guys or your gals. Okay, let's look at them. First one, the law was given for me to know who God is and what he's invited me to become. It was not given to me so that I can hold others accountable, right? Learning God's word and God's law is not like a, a roadmap for us to be able to figure out what's wrong with other people. Learning God's word and God's laws is all about us getting to know God better and helping us know how to become more like him. Let's look at this one. Meeting people where they are is more important than telling them where they're wrong. Right, everybody's heard the saying, it's kind of a cliche thing, but it's still a really real thing. Nobody cares what you know until they know how much you care, right? If you genuinely care about other people and love them well and are sincerely interested in them, odds are over time, they're gonna be interested in what you know. But if it's all about just telling them what they're not doing right or where they're wrong or how they're off or what they're not believing correctly or how they're not acting properly, we're gonna be way off track. So the next one. It takes maturity to have a strong conviction and love people who don't share that conviction. Here's the thing, when you are sold out for God and you believe God's word and you are all in on team Jesus, like you are glad to follow Christ and you're convicted in your heart that you've made the right decision, that this is the right thing to do and you have friends who think that it's a scam or a ripoff or that the church just wants your money or you have family members who think that you're dumb or simple-minded because you believe something like the Bible. 
it's hard to hold to your strong convictions and still love those people well. We're able to do that as we grow up in Christ. When you're immature, you tend to bite back. You tend to snark out and say things that aren't really that helpful, but you're trying to defend yourself. Let's look at the last one. God sends his Holy Spirit into the world to convict the world of sin. He sends his children into the world to love well. Right? Let God do God's part. Let God take care of the motives of men's heart, the secret dark desires, the why they do what they do, the where they're coming from. Let God deal with all that stuff. That's God's department, God's territory. He sends us into the world to love each other well, to be a living example of what it looks like to have a relationship with Christ to lay down our lives daily as we have opportunities to serve and care for each other so that we can show people physically in a real relationship what it's like to have a God who would send his son to lay down his life for us. And each week we get together, we wrap up our time together with communion and we get to remember that Jesus did just that. He gave the, the ultimate example of what it looks like to love well, to lay his life down for us. So this morning, as we finish with communion, we remember that, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And as often as we get together, let's eat this and remember to him. In the same way, he took the cup. He told him that this cup represents a new covenant, which was his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. So often as we get together, let's drink this in remembrance of him. Hey, in just a second, we're gonna have some people go off to the sides to just be available to pray with you. Um, if you need to just confess to somebody that, man, I've been really judgmental and I got logs all over the place, I got a whole cord of wood in my eye, and you need to just lay it out there so somebody knows and you can just put it out in the open, go and pray with somebody. Have somebody pray with you. Have someone help lift up your stuff to the Lord. Remember these pictures that Jesus gave his disciples and gives us. So if you would, would you please stand and let's worship together. Or if you need to go and pray, go and pray. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.